Good morning. This morning we'll be reading from Exodus 31. And if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 71. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand and all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. This is God's word. Good morning again, everyone. As you know, we've been in Exodus now for a little while. We've traveled out of Egypt, through the sea, to Mount Sinai. Moses is on top of the mountain, and he is receiving instructions about the dwelling of God, tabernacle, tabernacle. This chapter is wrapping all of that up. If all goes well... We're going to start building in the next chapter. It's not going to go well. (laughs) In the next chapter, debacle, golden calf. But we're going to save that for the fall. Next week, we're going to jump into our Grace Gives series. We're going to be in the Gospel of John for a little bit, and then we're going to do some work in the wisdom literature over the summer. So this is going to be our last Exodus sermon for a little while. We're going to keep you on pins and needles, waiting to see the the big climax of the book that's coming up. So hopefully you'll stick with us through the summer and into the fall. God is the one who makes us holy. That's what we learned last week. 
God sanctifies us. God makes us holy. I had my mugs up here. Today I'll just use my water bottle as my illustration. This water bottle was lying lifeless in the pastor's office this morning, but when my presence came in (laughs) and grabbed this bottle, it became holy unto Brady. It is full, it is useful, it is dedicated unto me, all because I grabbed it up, I sanctified it. As Christians, we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, aren't we? We were dead and lifeless, (laughs) doing nobody any good. Until God came in and grabbed us up and by His Spirit said, you are now my bottle, my mug, my, Paul will say, my instrument. We are instruments of God. Here in Exodus 31, we see, now we see a vivid example of this idea. In Bezalel and Aholiab, God is saying to, to Moses, Uh, First of all, the whole nation is holy. The whole nation is my mug, if you will, my water bottle. But specifically, I'm choosing Bezalel by name, and I'm going to fill him with the Holy Spirit, and he is going to be useful. He's going to be used of me to build this tabernacle. And so the fruit of holiness will come out It'll come out of the people. It will come out of Bezalel. It'll come out of Aholiab. The fruit of work and rest. So this morning, we want to talk about the holiness of work and rest. The holiness of work and rest. Many of us in this room have a bad relationship with work and probably an even worse relationship with rest. For a lot of us, work is just a slave master, it's a nuisance, maybe a necessary evil. Or if you're crushing it at work, maybe it's your God, maybe it's an idol, maybe it's your source of identity and purpose, right? I I am good at my job. I am valuable because of what I do. And then rest, don't even get me started. For most of, most of us to say rest is just a fantasy. <laughs> I don't rest enough. Probably most of us in this room don't get enough sleep. Probably most of us should be taking a nap every day. And then spiritual rest. I, I don't, Brady, I don't even know what that means. Spiritual rest. What does that mean? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Our work is holy. Our rest is holy we are holy. Those are my three points. Our work is holy. Our rest is holy. We are holy. So, number one, our work is holy. I want to draw out three thoughts from the text that we can look at and and see why our work is holy. Why is our work holy? Three thoughts about work and God. Number one, our work is holy because it is ordained by God. Verse 16, all that I have commanded, all that I have commanded, verse 6, I'm sorry, not 16, 
make all that I have commanded you. Work is a command by God. Did you know that God wants us to work? Did you know that God said, told Adam and Eve to work before they ever sinned? So work was part of the plan from the get-go. Work is not a punishment. Work is not the curse. Work can be cursed, but work itself is part of God's plan. It was in the garden. It's in the law. The fourth commandment says, six days shall you labor. We always remember the fourth commandment as the back half, but the, but the seventh day is a day of rest, and we forget the first part. Six days shall you labor. So you should be working six days a week and then taking a day off. God is commanding them to work. Work is all over the wisdom literature. If you read the book of Proverbs, it's constantly spoken of. Work hard, work with integrity, be an ant, don't be a sluggard, get up early, work, work from sunrise to sunset, all of that. It's in the narratives of the Bible. Noah worked hard. Joseph worked hard at his job. Ruth, remember her? She was a hard worker. These stories abound in the, in the Bible of hardworking people. Even Jesus, we know, was a, literally, the word is he was a tecton, he was a worker. Like his dad, Joseph. He built things. Well, Brady, now we're under grace. We're under grace, so we don't have to work hard anymore. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Colossians 3, work heartily as to the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3, if you're not willing to work, you don't get to eat. Ouch. Ephesians 4, let the thief work hard with his hands and stop stealing. 1 Thessalonians 4, this one should be, should be your life verse. For many of us, this should be our life verse. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, make it your goal to mind your own business and work hard with your hands. <laughs> Woo! That would change society if we all just did that, right? <laughs> so our work is holy because God ordained it. Our work is holy when it images God. Our work is holy when it images God. The work of Bezalel and Aholiab will image God's creation work. The work of Bezalel, Aholiab, and all of the Israelites, because they're all going to chip in. Everybody's going to roll up their sleeves and get to work. It's going to image Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, the earth is up without form, it's empty, and the Spirit, so by verse 2, the Spirit is hovering. And then creation, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And then the beginning of chapter 2, God rested. So spirit, creation, rest. Spirit, creation, rest. Exodus 31, Holy Spirit on Bezalel, he works hard, rest. Same pattern. Spirit, creation, rest. His work, their work, images God. It is forming and filling. Okay, back to Genesis. Genesis 1, 1, the earth was without 
form and empty. So then God formed for three days, day one of creation, day two of creation, day three of creation. We're going to form a sky, and we're going to form a sea, and we're going to form land. And then days four, five, and six, God fills creation. So, you know, sun, moon, and stars, birds, plants, animals. So He forms, and then He fills. Any work that we do that forms and fills is imaging God. Bezalel, Oholiab, they're going to form the tabernacle, and they're going to fill the tabernacle. They're mimicking Genesis 1 and 2. And they are given spiritual gifting. Look at verse 3, Exodus 31, verse 3 and following. They're given spiritual gifting in order to accomplish this. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability, intelligence, knowledge, craftsmanship, verse 4, to devise artistic designs. Ability is the same, it's the same word as wisdom all throughout, throughout the rest of the Bible. Wisdom. So I've given Bezalel wisdom. In other words, Bezalel is going to, you know, in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, Bezalel is going to understand what God wants. He's going to fear the Lord. His work will be rooted in truth. That's what that means. So, ability or wisdom, then intelligence. Bezalel will have discernment to know how to literally craft the pieces. He'll know how to problem solve. Knowledge. This is the word for skill, the hands-on skill. The next two words point to this. Knowledge. So, he not only knows how to do it, he can do it. <laughs> his, his brain and his hands work together, and he knows how to craft everything, and he knows how to explain every, to everybody else how to do it. Craftsmanship. Beauty. Beauty. When this thing is done, you're going to look at it and be knocked out of your socks. It's going to be gorgeous. Gold and silver and the wood and the beautiful colors of all the curtains. He's going to have craftsmanship. You know, guys, this isn't Ikea furniture, okay? Okay? God didn't just draw a little diagram and say, here, build this. Good luck. Specific instructions, but also that last phrase, to devise artistic designs, imagination. This is cool. This is cool. Yes, we've just read four or five chapters of God giving the blueprints of the tabernacle, but what this last phrase means is that God is letting these artists still kind of come up with their own creative way of doing it. God has said, I want... I want blue, and I want purple, and I want red. But he didn't say the pattern schemes that he wants. He didn't say, okay, once you all start weaving, this is exactly the stitching I want you to do. He said, I want, I want cherubs woven in. He hasn't said, like, how big. He hasn't said what they look like. He, all of that's left up to their imagination. They get to be creative. They get to devise artistic designs, don't they? All of this images God, doesn't it? God is wise. God is discerning and skilled 
and imaginative. You know that you've seen his work. Who can look at a sunset or a sunrise and not say, wow, there is a, there is a wise and skilled creator at work? Who can stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon or, or, walk, or walk through the, the parks of Utah or, or stand on a mountaintop or watch a majestic waterfall or even just study the human body? Who amongst us can look at any of those things? Just look at a flower, for goodness sake, and not say, this was made by somebody with imagination and a whole lot of smarts. And when we build and craft and design, we're imaging God, aren't we? To all the artists out there that feel left out of church and feel, feel left behind, I want you to know that God knows your name. In a community of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people, God knew Bezalel. I want that guy. I know his name, and I'm filling him with the Holy Spirit, and I want him to work for me. You see, artists, I want you to know something, artists. Hebrews, Hebrews says, Hebrews 11 says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. That's what art is. Art is taking something unseen and making it visible. That's what, that's what our art project in the hall is, isn't it? I didn't know all the thoughts and feelings and, and emotions and stories that are expressed on that art, all those little cards. I didn't know any of that until you, until you made it visible, until you expressed it artistically. And now, I don't know about you guys, but now that strengthens my faith. That helps my faith. It gives substance to things that we hope for evidence to things we can't see. Number three, our work is holy because it's a participation with God. It's a participation with God. Couldn't God have just done like He did in Genesis 1 and said, let there be tent. Let there be table. Let there be, you're, you're, with, you're tracking with me, right? He could have done that, but he didn't do that. Instead, he said, hey, people, build it. You build it. It's my idea, you build it. Make it happen. Why does God do that? Why does a God that doesn't have to do that, why does he do that? Because God loves participating with us. He loves inviting us in. He loves us. He loves us. Here's what, here's what God knows. God knows that all work is spiritual work. All work is spiritual work. Why? Because God, God's hand is on it. I don't care what kind of work you do in here. Some of you work in fast food. Some of you work for the government. You're way, you're way up in God. I don't care. It's spiritual work. Because God is at work through it. God does not have a sacred secular divide. Flipping burgers is just as sacred as preaching this sermon. 
You remember in the New Testament when God, when they, in Acts, in the book of Acts, when the, the widows weren't being served food and some were being left out, and so they chose deacons, servants, people to hand out food, and God said, make sure they're spirit-filled. I got to be spirit-filled to hand out food? To hand out groceries? Yeah. You know why? Because that's spiritual work. There is no physical, spiritual hierarchy in God. This is actually the first time in the Bible a person is said to be filled with the Spirit of God, Bezalel. Not Moses, not Aaron, not Noah, Bezalel, an artist, a craftsman. God fills these workers that were probably trained in Egypt, for goodness sake, they went to a secular college. Oh, no. <laughs> and God still used them? No way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what God does. You see, when we work, that is God at work. When we work, that is God's providential care. That is God's providential care. As one author said it, at night we pray and ask God for our daily bread, and in the morning the baker gets up and bakes it. How does God take care of us? Through the work that we do for each other, for God. That's how God meets our needs, isn't it? And not only that, God's work in your life the, through the work that you do is sanctifying, isn't it? Listen, Often, there is nothing more humbling than your job. At times, there's nothing more humbling than the, the job you're doing and all of the drama that goes with it and all the pain and suffering that goes with it. Often, it is the primary sanctifying tool in your life, isn't it? Where you have to wrestle with, am I doing this job as unto the Lord or unto man? And you got to ask that question. Some of you are, are asking that question every single day, Right? Every single day, it's sanctifying. But not only is our work holy, number two, our rest is also holy. Our rest is also holy. Verse 12 and following, the Lord said to Moses, verse 13, above all you shall keep my Sabbath. And then he'll say the word Sabbath seven times in the next few verses. Seven times. Why? Because God Sabbathed. God rested. On the seventh day, Genesis 2, God rested. Obviously, here in Exodus 31, Sabbath is a law. You, you, read the, you heard it. If you do not Sabbath, you will die. If you do not Sabbath, you will be cut off from your people. Okay, that's law. That's law language. But even before it was a law, it was a spiritual principle established by God. And even now, as New Covenant Christians, we are not under the law, but we still uphold Sabbath rest as a spiritual principle that we should attain to, that we should, that we should grab hold of. It says, verse 13, Sabbath will be a sign Verse 13, Sabbath will be a sign. Now, for sure, Sabbath was a sign to the other nations. Listen, every other nation has temples. Every other nation has altars. 
Every other nation has sacrifices. Every other nation has priests. You know what no other nation had? Mandatory rest. That didn't exist in any other nation. But more importantly, it says, Sabbath will be a sign between you and the Lord. Between you and the Lord. What is God saying? God's saying, the the crux of our relationship, the foundation of our relationship is rest. Religion says the exact opposite, folks. Religion says the foundation between the fundamental principle, the fundamental thing between you and your God is work. Work for God. Achieve God. Strive. Effort. Performance. And God's saying, nope. The fundamental principle, the sign, the sign of our relationship is Rest. Rest. If only we could embrace this. Verse 17, God rested and was refreshed. On the seventh day, God rested and was refreshed. Wow, that's a cool word, refreshed. Hey, why did God stop working? Because He was exhausted. No, come on, (laughs) right, no. He was like, oh man, what have I done? I've made way too much stuff to keep up with. I cannot handle, what, this was nuts. I bit off way more than I can chew this time. I need a break. No, that's, no, God, Sabbath to be refreshed. He wasn't overwhelmed. He wasn't exhausted. He stopped. The word refresh is the same root word as the word for soul. Napas. Soul. Nefesh. Refreshed. Napas. God stopped working to let his soul be refreshed. Here's how. He stepped back and looked at it all and said, that's good. That's good. He wasn't tired, but he wanted to enjoy what he had just done. This, you know what he's saying? This is enough. This is enough. This good is good enough. And that pleased him. We are the opposite. We almost value exhaustion, don't we? If I come up to you, the, the, the foundation of, of my relationship with you as a pastor and congregant, if I come up to you and say, how you doing? Eight out of ten of you are going to say, I'm just so tired. I'm so busy. And you know how you guys talk to me? I hear this at least once a week. Pastor Brady, I know you're so busy. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to call you. I'm so sorry to bother you. I know you're super busy. And I can't say that I'm not because then I'll lose my job, right? (laughs) Wait, why are we paying this guy? He's supposed to be super busy all the time. It's a badge of honor, isn't it? I'm, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. God was satisfied. Let me ask you this. Could God have done more? 
Could he have been like, mm, let me see, one more tree there, another mountain, four oceans, let's do five. Seven continents, why not ten? He could have done that, right? But he didn't. He stopped and said, that's enough. That's good enough. What about us? You see, when you never rest, when you never Sabbath, what you're saying is nothing is ever good enough for you. Nothing's ever good enough. This house isn't good enough. My car doesn't look good enough. My kids aren't socially acceptable enough. Their grades aren't good enough. Their piano performance isn't good enough. I don't pitch well enough. I don't throw well enough. I don't kick well enough. I don't sing well enough. I don't play well enough. I don't pastor well enough. I don't, I don't partner well enough. I don't, uh, do I do anything good enough? God, what you have done is good enough. Say it. God, what you have done is good enough. <laughs> Let that be what sustains you. Listen, if the world ended right now, if the, the, the world can end right now and God will be like, that's okay, it was good enough. I got done everything I needed to get done. That's what he would say. Listen, I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't give your best. In fact, I am saying that. I am saying work hard. That was the first point. Work hard. Do your best. But listen to me, Christian. Do your best, but it's okay if your best is not the best. Okay? Do your best, but it's okay if your best is not the best. In fact, it probably isn't, and it probably never will be. In fact, stop judging everything as good, better, best. That's not how God ranks things. Christian, this is the cure for all performance and earning and works righteousness. It's really the cure for shame and guilt and idolatry is rest. Rest. God, you're enough. God, this is enough. This house is enough. This family's enough. This, this job's enough. I'm content. I'm content. Now you can actually do things not as a stepping stone to better, but you can do good things simply because they're good. You can play the piano not so that you can be the best pianist in the world, but you can play the piano because playing the piano is good. Music is good. Sports are good. Learning is good. Education is good. Let it just be that. Let it just be good. Number three, we are holy. How do we, how do we get here? How do we get there? We got to remember that we are holy. We are good. In Exodus 31, we already said, the tabernacle images creation. But we are the new creation. Genesis, God creates. He creates a garden. And he lives in that garden. He dwells in that garden with Adam and Eve. We know that from chapter 3, that God, God would come to them in the, in, the, in the spirit of the day, in the wind of the day, the cool of the day, however you interpret that word. God would come to them. And then here in Exodus, after sin, God says, okay, I'm going to live with you again. I'm going to dwell with you again. Build me a tent. 
tabernacle. So from garden to tabernacle. Well, what about today? There is no tabernacle, is there? Not physical. There's no temple, not physical. What's God's tabernacle now? Us. Us. We're it. We are the new creation. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old is gone. The new has come. Spirit, creation, rest. Remember that? That was our pattern. Spirit, creation, rest. Christian, stay with me. You get the Holy Spirit. You become the new creation. Now what do you do? Rest. You rest. Let's do it again. You got the Holy Spirit. You become the new creation. What do you do? Rest. We rest. Rest is the foundational principle, the, fo the foundation of our… Re it's how we relate to God. We relate to God by resting in Him, by taking earning off the table, by taking performance off the table, by taking works as righteousness off of the table. We are the final work of God. The church is the final work of God, and it's already done. If you die today, what happens to you? Where do you go? Christian, if you die today, where do you go? No, you go to a little workshop where God continues to tweak and <laughs> patch you up and, okay, let's see here. Oh, that, you're not stupid. No, you go to heaven. Do you know what that means? You're done. <laughs> you're done. You're good. You're done cooking. You're as good as you're going to get. When you die absent from the body, present with the Lord, how can something this messed up go into the holy presence of God? How is that possible? Because I have been made good, and I rest in that. I rest in that. It is finished, Jesus said. Do you believe that? I am finished. In a very real sense, I am finished. I'm heaven ready. Now, what does that mean? It means I live like I'm heaven ready. I, I come to Jesus. Matthew 11. Let's finish up with this verse. You know it. Come to me, Jesus talking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. You got to come to Jesus for rest. You got to come to Jesus for rest. Jesus doesn't say, I'll show you how to rest. He doesn't say, I'll give, you a, I'll give you a lesson on rest. He doesn't say, I'll send you on a vacation. No, he says, I am rest. Attached to me, and that's rest. Rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. Take my yoke. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Refreshment. <laughs> the same thing God has, refreshment. That's what Jesus is offering. Listen, have you entered into the rest of Christ? Have you 
have you said to God, I am done with my strivings, I'm, I'm done with my self-effort, I'm done with my self-righteousness, I'm done with religious undertakings, I choose to rest in Jesus. Have you said that? I hope you have. I hope you have. Christian, are you running again and again and again to the rest of Jesus? But here's the paradox. When we come to Jesus for rest, what do we do? We put on the yoke. And now we get to work, don't we? From rest comes work. But, he, but we learn from him. He's teaching us as we go. Imagine the two oxen yoked together. Everywhere the, the big, older oxen goes, young oxen goes. Do you see it? Yes, Brady, you look like a cow. <laughs> Come on now. We're attached to Jesus. We learn from Him. We learn how to live from Him, how to love from Him, how to trust from Him, how to participate in redemption from Him. Will you learn from Him? Will you rest in Him? Let's pray. Jesus, we come to You. Even right now, even right now, we come to You and our hearts cry, we come to You. Give us rest. Give us Your rest. We confess we've, we've, tried, we've tried everything we can think of to do to calm our conscience, to calm our, uh, that, that, that gnawing, nagging feeling in us that we're just not good enough. We've tried it all. We've tried it all. Jesus, we need you. We need you to look at us and say, you're good. You're good. This job's done. Just trust me. Trust me. The, the, we're fighting a battle. You've already won. We're trying to be good, but, but Jesus, you've already given us freely your goodness, your completeness, your fullness. May we embrace this. May we embrace this, and in so doing, embrace the rest that comes with it. We pray these things. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.